Yeah. Mask of Zorro. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I don't know why yeah. we're doing this. Are we, is this the episode now? Or sure. Are we in the episode? Why not? Uh, why not? No, I don't even know what made us start doing work. this stupid ass bit. I just did it on a stream one time. I just yeah. went, oh, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I Who once, I, I used to do it with our boy. Remember Derek Weil from film school? Yes, I do. Derek's the best. Uh, I used to, mm-hmm. I don't know what it is, but there was a moment where we were talking about some other student being a snivelly little baby, and, and mm-hmm. he did this sound. He was like, oh. <laughs> it just became the thing. It just killed for, it. Yeah, and it just became a thing yeah. for 10 years. Uh, it's been a wonderful 10 years. Since he made that yeah. joke. <laughs> Funny sounds, man. Funny sounds. Yeah, you know, uh, they still work. Timeless. 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 By the way, speaking As... of timeless tales. Mm-hmm. So did mm-hmm. you like that? Did you like that transition? Holy I shit. I was going to say, I was going to do the segue if you weren't, so. <laughs> Holy shit. We, it it you was are... really my idea all along. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, you're the true hero, and I'm the one wearing the mask. As long fine as we're on the same me. page. Ooh, that's clever. Did you like that? Yeah. Welcome to fucking yeah. Director Peace Theater. We are whipping around ideas like swords today. I am one of your hosts, Adam Ganser, and with me is my equal, perhaps better, unmasked friend and colleague. Abe Epperson. Hey. <laughs> Abe. Hey, thanks for that intro. Hey. Yeah. You deserve it. Hey. Yeah. You deserve so it. this is an Adam episode. It's a mean and one. And by that I mean uh, this is when I allow him to speak. No. <laughs> this is uh, <laughs> this is when uh, we usually take turns in the show. Yeah. So uh, this episode, um, we, you know, we, we, we do our little texts. We like we sit do. in our little little beds in our comfies. Yep. And then uh, you Always know, I go bed. like, got any movie ideas? And you <laughs> and you came back with this one. And uh, I like this theory or I like yeah. this uh, like recontextualization of a like a, a movie that i would say in large part is mostly kind of left the radar of people yeah totally you know that's what made me so like i, I certainly a lot of our fans will have seen an episode about exactly this right. movie uh, on our sister channel gamefully unemployed because dave is an evil goblin but uh-huh. uh, and Tom is his uh, is is our beautiful friend who tries to keep him in line. But what can you do? <laughs> yes. uh, yeah. So, but like, I think the reason we even thought of it at all is because Netflix remembered it for us. <laughs> like yeah. Netflix, like remember yeah, this? And it's that. like fuck yeah, I do. Uh-huh. Uh, this uh-huh. is a great movie. The movie, of course, is Mask of Zorro. Uh, uh-huh. A wonderful film came out in 1998. It was uh, it was a big success that year. It wasn't the most successful movie that year. Uh, I think uh-huh. it was Armageddon in 1998. I'm not sure. Uh, that would make a lot of sense. Yeah. I don't know what was released first uh, it that was, year. But, it yeah. was released two weeks before. Uh, Armageddon was released two weeks before Mask of Zorro. Oh, wow. Yes. Oh, wow. Uh, providing a very interesting contrast in movies. Um, but yeah, I wanted to talk about Mask of Zorro because uh, Mask of Zorro is uh, sort of a beloved movie, wouldn't you agree? Like, it's kind of a beloved uh, movie. Yeah, I mean, it launched some careers. Yes. Uh, it it basically solidified that Antonio Banderas is kind of awesome. Yes. Uh, it was a lot of fun in terms of, like, the swashbuckling genre. Absolutely. I'd say it's beloved in those respects, definitely. And I think, you know, you can't underestimate the impact that uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones had on everyone ages 18 to 35. Mm-hmm. 
Sure, she, sure. She sure. just annihilated everyone uh, the minute she popped on screen, and this was oh yeah, they're her big their debut chemistry, and they're both fucking gorgeous. Yes. It's yes, it's yeah. almost as like a person who's like normal looking, right? It's offensive, right? <laughs> exactly. They are yeah. so beautiful. They They're really too are beautiful. Yes, and this How movie. How dare they? I know it's like it is offensive, but they're so good at it that you have to like, ah, oh, you win. Uh, like that's how I yeah. feel about them. Oh, uh, we love you. I know exactly. So keep you, making pitches. You, <laughs> <laughs> Abe, you're perfectly uh, setting up my episode. I really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, you're welcome. Man. Yeah, you're 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 really doing it. Uh, <laughs> so what I wanted to say about this epi- about the this movie is that Mask of Zorro represents kind of a, a late stage old school Hollywood picture. And uh, mm-hmm. by that, I mean that it, it represents an old way of doing filmmaking in sort of an old outdated genre and is actually a great example of what makes that kind of filmmaking good and what makes it bad. So uh, okay. we're going to talk about sort of how it stacks up in sort of old school Hollywood uh, filmmaking tricks and uh, some of the underlying uh, casting and financial decisions, and you will see mm-hmm. what it means to make an old-school Hollywood picture, and uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. So yeah. strap on Is... your mask, I guess, you know? Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, fuck uh, yeah. Mask already. Uh, yeah, I think a good... I mean, you run this thing how you want to, mm-hmm. but I would, my first question would be... Um, like, what is the difference in your mind mm-hmm. between the two types of movies? Yeah, great. So, well, I wouldn't know. I don't even know if it's two. I just think, uh, so Mask right, of right. Zorro is an action movie. That's like the first and foremost thing that we all understand about it is it fits very neatly into the action genre. But it fits into the action genre in a time when the action genre had gone through very dramatic changes and was about to go through even more dramatic changes Uh, So 1998 is after the films, like basically like a surge of what you might call disaster movies or like sort of epic blockbuster movies Mm -hmm. like uh, Independence Day or Volcano or Armageddon a few weeks before or Dante's Peak or um, just a bunch of these massive movies. Uh, I believe it's the same year as Godzilla, which was another disaster movie. And those movies had really sort of taken over what we thought of as an action picture at the time. Mm-hmm. And in some ways still sort of occupy a place in our landscape as an action movie. Um, mm-hmm. And Mask of Zorro and the swashbuckling genre were not a mainstay anymore. Though like, you know, right. certainly from like the 20s to like probably even the 80s, they were everywhere. The Douglas Fairbanks. Yeah. yeah Zorro the, was instrumental in yes. creating that yes. genre. And yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't doing as well. There was like TV Zorro versions. It was like uh-huh. a huge franchise that was just before most of our time. Right. And yeah. I think that. Uh, again, so you're you're doing so great as a as a you're giving me all the assists in the world. You're you're uh, you're the white guy on the Utah Jazz whose name just flood, <laughs> flooded my brain. Uh, John Stockton. John Stockton. You're the John Stockton to my Carl Malone baby. That's yeah, who you are. The mailman over here. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah, I'm the mailman. Yeah. Do you know what he chanted when he did free throws? What did he chant? I don't know either. I, don't, I just hope I hoped you would know. <laughs> I was hoping it would be mailman, <laughs> mailman. Mail man. <laughs> I'm the mailman. It's me. It's me. I'm the mailman. Here it's we go. Me, <laughs> oh man, uh, we should talk about on a different thing. The last, last dance. dance, man. Oh yeah, yeah, my yeah. god. 
That's All actually... Right. Let's keep going. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, you know, we could do a director piece someday on that OJ doc series. Uh, uh, you know? That was fucking yeah. awesome. Anyway, so let's move on. So, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so, okay, so again, 1998, those movies have come out. Now, 1998 is also a year before two very important movies in the history of action movies come out, and that is Star Wars, The Phantom Menace, and, uh, of course, The Matrix. And they're, Both equally good movies. Yeah, the same amount of good. Uh, what a year it was. Now, so like, what a year. So the reason I mentioned The Phantom Menace is that The Phantom Menace is the first uh, ever sort of all-digital workflow movie, which is sort uh-huh. of why behind the scenes it's a very famous shift in movie making. Um, also, you know, for fans, one of the reasons why it sucks, because they created yeah. the all-digital Jar Jar uh, but that was a big change in how action movies were made because after that, uh, CGI was sort of basically inescapable. The mainstay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. In- Everyone kept, even though we weren't ready, we all kept pushing it and still are to make it look better because they're just like, Oh, look yes. at what it can give you. Right. Yeah, that's because that motivation. I mean, people have to remember that like CGI until like up to, up to mask of Zorro was occasionally great. Like in Jurassic park, um, but was still kind of seen as schlocky, like in movies like <clears throat> The Mummy, which I say not to offend because I know you love it. Uh, how how fucking dare I knew you? You're gonna do that. First off, I knew you're gonna do it. Uh, and you didn't even mention. Uh, like I was all primed and ready to say you mentioned 1999 and you mentioned Me- Phantom Menace and The Matrix, and you didn't mention <laughs> Mummy. I was gonna I was gonna break you for that after you had finished your bullshit. But now you've come out and called out The Mummy. I knew you're gonna up. do that. How dare you? <laughs> See, the mummy represents not caring how realistic the action looks, right? And, yeah, and that, I think sure. that's what's good about it. Uh, but also, I mm-hmm. think that not everybody at this point in time is ready to embrace that as an aesthetic. And sure. there's still some sort of dubiousness about CGI. So what I mean by yeah. action movies, I'm basically talking about CGI spectacle movies that have now become the standard. Um, Mask of Zorro came out in the middle of all that. So... That's really interesting, right? Because the year after Mask of Zorro, when The Matrix comes out, action movies are forever changed. Like, every action mm-hmm. movie since, since The Matrix is indebted in some way to the way The Matrix was shot and, like, yeah. the way it looks and stuff. Yeah. So, The Mask of Zorro sort of represents this weird, old, last interlude of a very old way of doing movies that started from the very beginning of blockbuster movies. And basically has died out at this point. And the, that would include the following things. Here's what I mean by that. Mm-hmm. So the first thing is little to no CGI at all. Like there's basically no CGI in the movie or if it's there, it's uh, not noticeable. I think it's like f- it's flames in the final sequence. And yeah, stuff. maybe, uh, maybe they may uh, not. Even and at be... the beginning, I think they may not have, yeah. but I could see some sweeteners. That wasn't, <laughs> well, speaking of sweeteners, uh, mm-hmm. This has got to be the most famous movie ever for sweetening the sounds of explosions with with cat sounds because yeah. it's crazy. It's like That's all throughout. bizarre. This movie is <laughs> wow uh, for for cat sounds. <laughs> like the MacGruber thing is like oh this it's is where pretty, that came from. Yeah, it really. Yeah, they everything. Why not just throw like a, a tiger sound over everything? They did a lot point. of that. It's, yeah, just a lot. If you watch this movie and listen for it, yeah. it is you. It, it is something that I definitely in the rewatching. It's just like, Meow! 
<laughs> you can't you can't fucking believe it. Like every time there's it's, an explosion, there's a lion uh, roar, and it's not yeah. subtle. It's like, oh, I see. It's like what? Yeah. <laughs> Why? I don't understand. Is that, it's great. Is that fire a big cat. I don't understand. <laughs> but is uh, it a fire cat? I don't it, get it. it. It's because it's like it's the low guttural sound. You know, like it. That's what we mean by sweeteners. I don't know if that's a term that uh, you know transcends. Yes. To, Sweeteners. People who don't make movies or audio. But it's like you add a thing that you don't even know you're hearing it. It's just kind of like filling out the bed of the frequencies. Um, But yeah, they use that shit and it's just like, what? It's very Uh, very silly. This movie is crazy uh, how, like I'm glad you mentioned the... um, the matrix yeah and how like i think of that as like a good parallel to jurassic park okay because sure uh and so like it's a good parallel to like jurassic park because like the way they shot the cg is really um it's really like that's what makes it timeless because like in Jurassic park and in the matrix, the CG isn't like wildly in your face, like a transformer film. Uh, they were subduing the special effects. So it really kind of plays, even though you can notice it still is better at the test of time because it's not reliant on it. And what's interesting about your theory so far or why you chose this movie is when I was watching it, I don't know if I'm jumping ahead on your theory, but it's, amazing to me that the different parallels from the type of movie that is like trying to do it practically and real explosions and real stunts, uh, they don't shy away from it because they knew they could nail it. That's right. So it's like, both things are like, we know who we are. It's about knowing who you are first and foremost. This movie seems to know what it's all about. Yes. This movie is a very confidently made movie. It's, it's, uh, one of the most confidently made movies I've ever seen. For and, and so I'll explain what I mean by that over the course of this episode. But you've you've identified exactly what the point of it is. Like that's exactly mm-hmm. it. So just to so just to li- fully list out the things that make this not a Hollywood or excuse me t- makes it an old school Hollywood blockbuster. So little mm-hmm. to no CGI. Most of the big scenes are built around gigantic set pieces, which is like a really old Hollywood pr- like practice. That's where the money goes. Yes, yeah. the money goes into big, giant set pieces and sets that are either found and dressed or built. Um, it's shot mostly on location or in studios on location. So in this case, this movie was shot in Mexico City. And it, it also represents the return to a genre that was an old school genre that, again, it, ba- it barely mm-hmm. exists anymore. And that genre is the swashbuckling genre. Now, we certainly get uh, entries into it after Mask of Zorro, like most, noto- most notably the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Um, and then there was mm-hmm. a bunch of these in the 90s that people forget about, like Three Musketeers was one, and like First Night and some others. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> first Night, yeah, and, baby. And first Night is, wow, uh, uh, Richard Gere and, uh, yeah, yeah, what a movie. So Julie Ormond, I want to say, was in that. So mm-hmm. I would also say that the first, the Tim Burton Batman movies are mildly swashbuckly, you know, because Batman, the TV show is totally a swashbuckling movie. Like, like that's right. what it is. It's like a bunch of big fights and, you know, uh, shitty stunts, but stunts, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So, well, in terms of tone, I would say, yeah, because it's like, um, it's like Princess Bride, right? Uh, like the scene yes. in Princess Bride yes. where, uh, the two swordsmen f- meet for the first time at the top of the cliffs. 
you know, perfect. like right. they, there's this fun little game and they, and I think what Goldman's doing there is he's playing with the idea of that trope. And you're definitely right that like swashbuckly, I think is more than just like, I mean, it is a genre. It is all of like, okay, so it's pirate. It's like a rogue type. Uh, but it's more of like, what kind of fun are you asking yes, your audience correct. to be having? Uh, right. And that's definitely Pirates of the Caribbean. And it's that kind of tone. It's f- it's also The Mummy. I'm just yeah, going to mummy. Yeah, yeah. I there. think you're right. Uh, the Mummy is kind of swashbuckly. Uh, that's, what's inter- that's one of the interesting things about it, is that it doesn't really have to be, but it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I would call swa- if I wanted to expand the definition of swashbuckly, I would say it means basically fighting in a theatrical context, usually yeah. in the past, uh, and it's it it's not a gun based uh, combat. Like there's no gun based combat stuff for right. the most part. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah. swords or that's, it's fisticuffs. Like that's what it is. Um, mm-hmm. So. You know, and again, this movie's coming out in the middle of a run of some of the most famous action movies ever made. You know, like the 90s mm-hmm. have just movie after movie after movie that are basically yeah, seminal. Yeah, 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 so many. And so the movie has to be a very competent picture to be remembered. Uh, and therefore, and so like that's what we're going to talk about is sort of what makes it such a competent Hollywood movie. Uh, and then we will also talk about the ways in which the fact that it's an old school Hollywood movie hurts it. Um, okay. So, okay. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 Because I think you have to sort of analyze both the strengths and weaknesses. So, and again, when I say Hollywood movie, I don't mean that it was made by Hollywood. I mean that there's a way of making movies here. Like there's an emphasis and some, and underlying beliefs and decisions, so one of the first ones... Are you saying for a blockbuster? Yes. Are you saying of movies of a certain uh, tier of budget? Like, it's a, be specific. It's a, I would say it's an, a, an old school Hollywood movie as an action film, like a blockbuster action mm-hmm. film, right? Action adventure, yeah, I think. adventure, yeah. correct. Genre. Correct. It's old school in that way, right? And, yeah. like, and again, it's not like this is the only movie Hollywood makes, but right. it is the movie that they learned to make uh, a, a lot. They made a lot of these it's also interesting because for for the you know to use the word blockbuster again or like the disneyfication of you know uh, movies as we've we're seeing right now they're going over the same kind of trends that Universal and Paramount learned in the right. in the older days and uh, it's it's it does seem like it's we put our we want to have an adventure movie adventure works across all demographics yes. so let's fucking go to town yes. on that. It absorbs all other types of movies. So we start to see like, yeah, it's action adventure, but it's got like kind of a horror bend or it's Mm -hmm. action adventure, but it's got a sci-fi bend. And that's what like Marvel is, you know, like it's basically the big movie. Yes. The big one, the big movie. But Mm -hmm. there are some things that are still true about blockbusters that are also true of Mask of Zorro, just as a, Mm -hmm. a quick tangent. Like one thing is I would argue that most Hollywood blockbusters, even to this day, have a pretty uniform tone. And that tone is, aren't we having such a great time? Right. Like, that's the tone of a Hollywood blockbuster. Um, And it's basically been true for, you know, 40 years. Uh, They're they're all kind of like that. Uh, They're all that. Yeah. So, and this movie is no exception to that. Uh, Anyway, so, the first strength of Mask of Zorro is the scale of it. Now, when I say scale of it, I mean that they built, they have gigantic set pieces in this movie. The first sequence and the last sequence take place in some of the most incredible locations you've ever seen in a movie. So, like, the first one is Anthony Hopkins as the old Zorro, 
is mm-hmm. in a town square preventing an execution, an arbitrary execution. And the town square is full of like hundreds, maybe a thousand people dressed mm-hmm. in like, you know, uh, 1800s Mexican peasant outfits with like armed guards. Mm-hmm. And then Zorro's like mm-hmm. literally dancing and swinging and stuff on the rooftops. And it's, it feels like an Assassin's Creed. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, it is amazing. And like, that's really, that is a really old thing in movies. So, like, it's for context, like, some of the most famous Hollywood epics ever were known for their set pieces, and that's, like, Ben-Hur, or, like, movies like mm-hmm. The Ten Commandments. Like, the money of those movies was spent on building a gigantic amphitheater, or building the flood, <laughs> you know, like, building the Red yeah, Sea, yeah. you know, and yeah, yeah. Mount Sinai. So, like, that is not true of action movies after... It's not as true of movies after uh, Mask of Zorro. So, like a movie like The Matrix, for instance, there aren't really big set pieces. The set piece is the way it's done. You know, like the best mm-hmm. big set piece in The Matrix is uh, the shootout in that lobby of a building, right? Mm-hmm. And it's great. Mm-hmm. It's fucking amazing uh, with the propeller heads music and everything. It's it's incredible. But like, it's not like the set itself is astounding. It's really just what happens. Yeah, yeah, um, it's the slow mo yes, and, the, and the way it's the made. Wire work, right? Yeah. Or take like Three Hundred as another very famous action movie. After this, Three Hundred mm-hmm. doesn't mm-hmm. have a great set piece. What it has is really cool cinematography, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. uh, and like you know, t- putting it all the way on the other end of it, of the scale. Like, let's take Phantom Menace, which has gigantic set pieces, but again, the best scenes in it, the best conflicts, are really like the three guys with the lightsabers or. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the more intimate moments, like the swashbuckly action stuff is sort of like who remembers it really, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Well, I mean, all you're right, except for all the Jar Jar stuff. The Jar Jar stuff killed it, you know? Get Everyone loved it. <laughs> we all still love it. Did anybody ever define what those blue balls they're throwing at the, at the stupid robots are? Yeah, in yeah Phantom that's, Menace? that's George Lucas just telling us all, you don't get another Star Wars. <laughs> This is what my what my sperm looks like, and he's throwing yeah, it at your faces. Fuck you all! It's yeah. a kids' movie. <laughs> That's uh, for children. Anyway, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, when you're right, when <laughs> you're right, you're good right. Kids' movie yeah. either. <laughs> all right, enough on Phantom Menace. So I'm done. Uh, That's fair with that one. So again, and the reason that the Matrix, by like, so the reason that the Matrix doesn't have big set pieces because it's not like they don't want to have them. It's because yeah. the cost associated with the CGI is prohibitive. Like they can't do CGI and have gigantic set pieces in the Matrix. If you want evidence yep. of that, watch Matrix Reloaded, where they tried to have a gigantic fight in the park and it didn't look right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, mm-hmm. so that's one of the things about CGI filmmaking at the time is it wasn't advanced enough to do big set pieces. <clears throat> so there's that. So and that's like kind of a consequence of like how, like you when you're building like uh when you're building a production team you're like building a fortress right yes. and it's like it's gonna have its weaknesses it's gonna have its strengths right but what you're gonna do is like it's gotta come up against reality and like the the elements mm-hmm. literally sometimes and like so you want to be braced for that impact and uh, like if you were a green screen 
you put all this money, effort, technology into control. Correct. Because green screen needs a, a high amount of control. So when you put together a production team that is going to go shoot out on location, that's a unique beast to that. You know, you can't have all the lights in the world and stuff like that. So when they're getting all their money and putting in the right allocation, uh, they're going to probably have to really push the budget because they're going to be very wasteful because they had to choose to be two types of movies. Absolutely. That's just the reality of economics. I I, I don't know if that's helpful. No, you're helpful right. To it, 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 you're absolutely right. Like the way you're saying it is perfect. Like a fortress me a fortress is not built like as a template. A fortress is is a strategy. It's a specific way mm. of doing defense. <clears throat> Right, yeah, and that's yeah. what every movie is like. Every movie is a specific strategy. Like we're going to do these are going to be our things that we're going to invest money in, and these mm-hmm. are the things we're not going to invest money in. Right, like mm-hmm. it, again. So the, I think the best contrast I can think of is one of the best action movies ever made is Jurassic Park. Right, and I'm, I'm going to use mm-hmm. action kind of loosely there. Fantastic mm-hmm. action movie. The set pieces are way smaller than Mask of mm-hmm. Zorro. Way smaller. Mm-hmm. Way smaller. Because yeah. they they have to build a T Rex. They gotta they gotta mm-hmm. convincingly render a T Rex, so the, the set pieces are just much smaller, um, mm-hmm. and that's it. So whereas Masters Zorro, we're talking about towns and caves and manors. That, that and mine like is incredible. Extras, yeah. yeah, the mine at the end, which we kind the of mine. we kind of fly past it, is like it, it's better. It's like better than anything in the the most epic of old Hollywood films. It's really <clears throat> great. Uh, it's. I mean, there are some sequences of them out in like the elements, like at the beginning yeah. of the movie, yeah, yeah, after yeah. the pro- like the prologue, you know, where yes. he's with his brother, yes. uh, and they're like just out and about. In the sticks. Uh, there's some sequences with Hopkins where he's at home uh, with his wife. These are the smaller, right? <laughs> bits, they're big, <laughs> which is crazy because like a western cuts its teeth on that yeah, kind of right. thing. Like yeah, it's yeah. like yeah, we just put them out in the fucking prairie and like bring a camera. This is like yeah those are like we got like eight minutes in the movie the rest of the movie people forget like i was i forgot how many like it's just one to another not all movies are like that you know it's like kind of like valerian you remember valerian Uh, very only a little bit uh it's just all right every 10 minutes it's like oh we're in a completely different world now okay you know but that's all cg'd and stuff true Uh, this is just it's like a safari. It's like an action it really adventure is. safari. It, and like e- each of these worlds and sets are are really exquisitely crafted. If I mean, you know, this isn't a production design podcast. Otherwise, I could spend all day on the Bat Cave that Zoro has. That's fucking awesome with that like <laughs> the circles and stuff that they train yeah, in the sword circle. It's rad. Yeah, yeah. It's so cool, and it's like it's as good as any Bat Cave that was ever made for any of those movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so. Really Prime great. Batcave. What's that? Prime Batcave, just like top tier. Yeah, it, it is. It's a really good Batcave. That's exactly what it is. So, like, uh, the sets are really cool, and they add a sense of scale, which, again, elevates the underlying conflict of Mask of Zorro, which is, like, a, a, it's a freedom fight for an oppressed people, and that is uh, not often the subject of a blockbuster, and they did a really nice job rendering it in the production design, and that's, you know, great filmmaking. Um, and you know, the, the advantage of doing it sort of the old Hollywood way is just the body count there, you know, like how many people are yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, again, there's other movies that are just like it at the time that don't have the scale, like Braveheart, right? One of the most famous action movies ever made doesn't have the scale mm-hmm. of Mask of Zorro. Mask of Zorro is a much bigger movie. Well, 
uh, I mean, when we're talking about fortresses, it's a different fortress. They they had, I think they had more extras. It's not fun. And it's that's the thing. That's the difference between Braveheart and Mask of Zorro. Well, sure. Ultimately, yeah, is that they're not yeah. fun. But I mean, just in terms of like production strategies yes. and production. Correct. Uh, Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But like, well, I don't think that Braveheart had more extras than Mask of Zorro. Do you? I don't know, man. That plaza's yeah, got was, a billion people was, in there. They didn't. They didn't CG any of right. those people. That's in those the battles. thing. It's not fake. You know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, we'll move on because I, I want to actually return briefly to Braveheart, but not not right now. Okay. So, uh, by the way, part of the reason that uh, this movie was produced at all. Uh, is because Spielberg got a hold of it. He was the one who was basically pushing this movie forward in the mid-90s. Mm. And uh, it was turned over to Martin Campbell of GoldenEye fame because he yeah. had sort of successfully... Yes, like the like it was his previous project. So he successfully rebooted James Bond, which was kind of a dead franchise. And that mm. James Bond was kind of the last one without a lot of CG in it. Yeah. You know? And Until, it's kind of better than most yes, it is uh, it kind of is better uh i totally agree now he later went on didn't, to he do, also did casino yes, royale right yes exactly so he did like the two good bombs yes of the 90s and 2000s correct that is i mean he kind of did the two good ones <laughs> uh, i kind of like i kind of like some of the sean connery ones uh but but i understand what you're saying and i think it's better than like what they're putting i don't know this isn't a review totally. podcast but totally for me for my money i'm not like huge into like skyfall i love roger deakins i like the skyfall. cinematographer of that i hear you i there like i love casino royale cuz it's just a beautiful one mm-hmm. you know one mm-hmm. one off and Goldeneye, yeah, is the one I grew up with. So maybe, I, yeah, truly, I don't know. It's just, it's. I, I was surprised to find in researching this that he made both of them, and I was like, I did not know that. That's kind of cool. Uh, I was impressed to find that out too because they're both very good and very different. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, they share good. they share the thing that makes him great in common, which is they are. They are perfectly executed, well crafted. They're not. They don't have a lot of extra shit that you don't need, mm-hmm, and they mm-hmm. are basically built around practical effects. Uh, mm-hmm. Which I think it's safe to say this guy is very good with practical effects. So mm-hmm. that brings us to our second, and I would argue the most important thing about the movie uh, that makes it an old school Hollywood epic, and that is that this movie decided to do all the stunts for real and none of them are CGI and they, the stunt work and the cinematography that supports the stunt work are both fantastic, utterly and completely fantastic. Right. So Mm -hmm. to compare, so this is probably one of the best movies I've ever seen for stunt work. And the reason Mm -hmm. I say that is because one of the things that happens is they shoot the stunts in wides a lot of these yeah. stunts are shot in wides. Most movies where you see a stunt performed, what happens is they they show you the the most impressive part of the stunt, which is the fall or the you know the jumping out the window, and then they give you a cut to the place where the landing happens because they didn't do the mm-hmm. same thing in the same shot. Because to do yeah. them in the same shot would be very risky, right? This movie constantly shows you a very dangerous stunt done in a wide so that you know it actually happened. And because you know it actually happened, the action stuff is just utterly thrilling. It is so well done. Um, yeah, I kind of just talked about this. I just made a video about this, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, Die Hard doesn't stay away from it either. I was 
taken back but it, that's gun stuff but like um the one where he uh he gets the he kills one of the henchmen and he like breaks his neck at, like mm-hmm. by when they mm-hm. roll down the stairs yeah, yeah, yeah. all one continuous shot which is awesome and it's just like it, that is the most dangerous stunt in the whole thing that's the thing you know? right it's like uh when you sh- when you show it all in a wide somebody has to do it you know mm-hmm, what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, so it's very yeah. dangerous and we know it's dangerous and you can't replicate danger. And you have to know what you have to kind of look at the frame and realize how they created sure. it. Because like that, that stunt is not as like tense in terms of when you're viewing it in Die Hard mm-hmm. as like him propelling down the elevator right. shaft of course not. to get to, you know, like uh, to get into that vent for that famous shot. Like, because that was matted out and there was pillows everywhere, you know? This was a actual stairwell. Mm-hmm. There wasn't any room for air. Make it look like you break your neck <laughs> and, like, tumble on top of each other. That is artful. And it this is. movie is the same yes. way. It's like, look at the hard thing. Like, jumping from horse to horse. The I'll horse to go. horse stuff <laughs> is... Okay, so so briefly, just... Uh, I'm not saying that the movie didn't do smart stunt work that was uh to trick us right like it definitely uses stunt doubles uh it definitely Mm -hmm. has camera angles that make something look more dangerous than it is um Mm -hmm. so like and that's just competent filmmaking you know but like to compare so like i've only done one big stunt in my entire film career thus far and it was uh in the monday in action heroes uh sketch which you had someone blast their window yeah yeah it was i think the title of it on youtube is what action heroes do on the weekends or something like that uh it was one dan wrote it and then uh, i directed it so uh the stunt was a person jumps through a window right like the the this woman breaks into a house with a cake it turns out and uh she jumps through a window so like i did what most filmmakers would do which is i i'm like okay i need like three or four cameras to make to sell the stunt so that I can mm-hmm. get it into pieces and sell you all the thrilling angles of it. I shot it the way the Matrix shoots stunts. Mm-hmm. And the difference between that and what Mask of Zorro does is Mask of Zorro would have one shot, and it would probably be a moving shot, and it would be perfectly framed to see the entire thing. And you would mm-hmm. know it wasn't fake. And they just get it. Yes, and they just yeah. get it. That's the thing. They just nail it. Uh, and it's it's very impressive. So the other thing that makes it <clears throat> impressive is the stunts are done at full speed. Like, they're not slowed down. There's not a lot of speed ramping here, which, by the way, speed ramping is when you shoot something slower than it actually looks, and then you ramp it up in post so that it looks faster than it is. There's not yeah, a lot a of lot that. a lot of martial arts movies. Yeah, a lot yeah. of martial arts do it. There's not a lot of that because uh, the shots are planned in such a way that they they kind of have that Spielberg quality of, like, connecting two pieces together with a move. There's a lot of that yeah. in this movie. Yeah. Uh, and so these people have to nail this shit at full speed. Um, which again is why we get so thrilled by it. It's uh, you cannot replace the effect of that with CG or with clever angles mm-hmm. or good cuts. You cannot mm-hmm. replace it. Um, just a couple of moments I wanted to call out as like very impressive. So the Antonio Banderas piece where he's on the two horses. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it was in the trailer. <clears throat> Everybody remembers it if you remember anything about the movie. Uh, it's shot in such a way that you know an actual person is really doing that. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and it's awesome. You know what I mean? And that's why it made it in the trailer. It kind of swoops over camera. Yes. Yeah. Yes. There's a fantastic stunt that's shot from, you know, I don't know, maybe a hundred, like 50 yards away or something on like a 50 or maybe, maybe a slightly wider lens. 
uh, of Antonio Banderas' character trying to jump onto his horse for the first time, right, from a window. And mm-hmm. the horse, of course, he misses it, of course. And mm-hmm. uh, But the thing is, the entire jump all the way down to the ground is in the wide, which means a stunt yeah. person has to jump out the window and land in the wide, and like, which means they got hurt. You know what I mean? Like they, they, right. they got hurt. That's <laughs> they what happened. They jumped two stories down. Yeah. yeah. I wondered how they did that. I don't that know because either. Like, I, they yeah. must have put like, ha- cause if you had like padding down yes. there, you, you might uh, see it. You would have kicked up dust. Right. right. So how do you, do you, um, I think that they may have, uh, aligned the ground to make a little like, uh, like force perspective with like in front of it and maybe like you know you color the ground even so the light hits it the right maybe. way maybe i looked it was, at it it's like nighttime so they could probably get away with that maybe it had a little hill and so he actually did drop on like a, a like a some padding but you don't see the padding because it's like recessed into the ground or something, or something in his like shoes, that maybe it's, there's some kind of padding in his shoes or something i couldn't figure I couldn't it out either. and i looked at I looked it, at a it few too. times yeah it, like and that tells you like Wow, that's a hell of a stunt. Uh, that's a hell of because, a stunt because you see his like knees buckle yeah. by the from the weight, so it's not like they like yeah yeah. There's just no way around it. You, they did that's it. That's the thing. It, like, and this movie does that kind of shit the whole time, and uh, to do that requires a a masterful understanding of how to do stunts safely. So their stunt coordinator and performers are top notch. This is the best in the biz. Mm-hmm. Um. They had. To they be. had to be. They, had, they to be. had to be because they're they're doing it full speed and it's very dangerous. And as a director, you have to know exactly how to shoot it to achieve the cinematic feeling of it, right? Yeah, so you got to hit the angle, right? Yeah. He doesn't do what, like, say the born the born trilogy would do, or again, what I did with my stunt, which is, okay, let's take a bunch of cameras and we'll cut it together so it looks you know super cool and we get all the pieces. He's like, no, no, right. no, we're going to so, do it right. Sometimes you also have to do that because you don't have, you only have three pieces of yes. candy glass because that's what you Which could is, afford. I had two. So you got so, three yes. shots at two it. Two shots. You know, if you have 19 shots at it, you can go like, oh, well, fucking, you know, let's do it till we get Correct. it. Correct. You know? Exactly right. I had two. Uh, so I, I couldn't, I yeah. couldn't afford not to do the cameras. It's yeah, not a denigrating thing. You have one thing. and a safety. You're going to shoot both <laughs> and you're going to get what you get. Correct. That's that solution. That is correct. Yeah. Uh, and that the stunt actor was uh, very gutsy. Very, I admire her to this day. <clears throat> yeah, uh, that's you. That's a lot of the director's work is just inspiring them to be like, "All right, you're gonna fucking do it." You're gonna <laughs> well, fucking she do was, it she was very. Pro- they're like, "I'm gonna do it." Yeah, yeah, she was very pro, and I respected her. I respected yeah. the sacrifice she was making. So, in any case, yeah. uh, th- this director is uh, a, a, a master craftsman at not only knowing how to make a stunt look impressive, but filming it in such a way that when he does have to cheat, we don't feel it. Um, mm. because he's, he's even better than how most Jackie Chan movies are shot, which again, Jackie Chan movies are primarily shot for stunts. That's, that's how you shoot them. Right. And the mm. way that you shoot a Jackie Chan movie, there's an every frame of painting about this is like, you know, you don't cut and you put it in a wide so you can see Jackie Chan do the stunt. And the trick is you just have to have mm. enough time for that's Jackie right. Chan to nail it. That's it. You know, you just shoot till right. he gets it. So, like, this movie, I don't know what they did in terms of time, but my suspicion is that, like, this director and the stunt coordinators were having a lot of craft conversations about what does it take to get it right, and Mm -hmm. uh, they might have had a lot of time to get it right, because it doesn't just happen. You know, it does Mm -hmm. not just happen. So, very impressive there. Uh, That is the epitome of what the old Hollywood stunt system should be. 
Um, and the mm. last thing, and it's very obvious, but again, sometimes you have to take a step back and think about it, is like this is a movie that is predicated on having a star, right? It's, it's very old school that way. It's like, we're going to have stars. You're going to watch these stars do fun things, and that's what you're going to like, because that's how Hollywood pictures work, right? And they had two fantastic actors that they put in a fantastic position to succeed. Okay, so Antonio Banderas, perfect for this. This is a perfect role for him. Uh, he is an exquisite actor, by the way. He can do some of the most amazing acting you've ever seen with the right director. So, like, Pedro Almodovar, who's a Spanish filmmaker. Yeah, I knew you were going to bring I it up. I love Almodovar. I fucking love him. Uh, he's, he's, he's my favorite filmmaker that's currently working. Uh, I, I yeah, love him. It's, uh, I, I know we kind of abandoned it, but if we were going to go to our old system, we're like, well, excuse me, Mr. Mr. Art Class. <laughs> like, he, Pedro, he, he's, yeah, he's yeah, really yeah. good. He is. He's really yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of really, like, Pain and Glory especially. Uh, like... You love him so much. I do much. love him so much. So much. I know. I know you don't love him as much as I do. I understand. It also Boonwell. You do, you love. Well, they were in the same though. class. Uh, that's why that's, yeah. Boonwell. I don't love yeah, as much as Amadovar. Uh, I didn't take that class. <laughs> <laughs> okay, like I just you're gonna like this, and we're gonna keep it. We're keeping it in the podcast. So, like one of my favorite moments in the in my entire life in school, like, and I don't mean like film school. I mean school. Uh, was mm-hmm. we had. <laughs> This is a grad school class, right? So we have to write a mm-hmm. 25, 30-page paper, you know, for like the end of the class, which is like, we're film students. We haven't read a book in four years, you know what I mean? So like, yeah. it was a lot to ask, but fine. So like, uh, we have to write a paper. So in, at the end, like the morning the paper's due, we're going to do like a graduate level review and stuff. It's ridiculous. The day that the paper is due, our buddy Julian comes in and he looks like total dog shit he looks horrible mm-hmm. right he's got scruff he looks tired and i was like what happened man are you all right and he'd waited till the night before to write his grad paper <laughs> it's like a 30 page paper it's not like a five page like tell me what you thought about Hell canterbury yeah. tales it's like yeah. it's a 30 page like developed thesis movie and he waited till the last minute and it was just that man is that man is Icarus, I, oh, man. Oh, dude, I love him so much. Uh, I, it was a truly inspiring moment for me. Uh, I, he has a special place in my heart forever for that moment. He's MVP. Yeah. In a lot so of ways. Great. Uh, it, so great. No, that's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. It's So even MFAs at USC film school <laughs> are turning in shit at the end of it's the, like, at the at last minute, he, the midnight hour. He looked like hell. Uh, he looked awful. That's so funny. <laughs> just, that is so funny. He'd had the worst night of his life. I didn't know life. that. Yeah, yeah. He worked through, anyway, so Almodovar uh, is, is basically <laughs> how he discovered Antonio Banderas, and he has gotten some exquisite work out of Antonio, most recently in Pain and Glory, which came out last year, um, and Antonio yeah. was up for Best Actor for it, which he should have been because it was yeah. a great performance. It was really good. Um, but there's, really other, good. there's other really great Antonio performances, like Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down, and, and then uh, I think Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown he's in, if I remember correctly. I don't think I've or no, seen I think it's one. Matador. I think Matador is the one he's in. I can't remember. I haven't, right. um, he's, he's, I haven't seen that either. I'm, I'm he's sorry. great in all those movies. But Alma, Antonio kind of... <laughs> Antonio does need to be directed, right? Like, he does need to be directed, or you need to put him in a movie where he gets to be himself, 
right? Like where he gets to be sort of a fun, playful person. Cause I think that's who he is. Oh yeah. There's lovely bits in this movie. Like, uh, Banderas does so many, like when he lights the, um, the cannon. Yes. Great. That shoots. Yes. Like he's, 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 he's like leaning on the cannon yes. in a, like, all right, you're already like, you're, you're puffing yourself up. But then he like just drops the, um, the, the torch onto the cannon, like whatever you call the cannon area that you light the cannon. And, uh, he does it with like, oops, did I do that yeah, kind yes. of like expression on his yes. face that is just like, who, what fucking movie are we right. in right He does now? <laughs> break the tone of the movie uh, several times, but I think it's like yeah. when you cast Antonio Banderas, you have to let him be sort of the goofy dude he is. Like he, like mm-hmm. he, the funny thing about him is he's got a little bit of a dark energy to him, like just a little bit, but he also mm-hmm. has this like very charming, uh, almost boyish way. And this mm-hmm. is the perfect role because he has to be both things. Um, it's a perfect yeah. role for yeah. him. He can play tortured. Yes. Uh, he can even play villains. Yes. I'll, I'll point you to assassins. Yes. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Uh, thank you for pointing that out. So yeah. <laughs> in any case, I think because he's so charming and, and, and fun that like he is sort of single-handedly bringing the blockbuster tone to this movie. Like he's single-handedly bringing mm-hmm. it to the movie because it really isn't anywhere else. Uh, mm-hmm. And if you watch the trailer to the movie from like the the 90s, by the way, the trailer is very heart pumping. It's like, whoa, this trailer looks awesome. Um, although mm-hmm. it's corny. Uh, yeah. He is definitely like his funny thing is definitely front and center uh, in the trailer. It's like it's stunts plus to plus his sense of humor. That's that's the movie. Um, plus yeah. one other thing that we're going to talk about in a minute. So, Okay. And that minute is now, because the next thing I was going to talk about yeah, is, I was gonna is say, what else you got? Catherine Zeta-Jones uh, is yeah. truly... This is her breakout, yes. right? This is A Star is Born. Like, this movie, yeah. it, it, she was rocketed to uh, leading lady status because she crushes this movie. Uh, it's a, it's a I don't know why they didn't find her a year before. I don't either. Uh, yeah, because she was in a little film called The Phantom, <laughs> and boy oh boy, she kills it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I would say the, the funny thing about her is it's Billy <laughs> Zay. Thank you, Abe. <laughs> you, you're just gonna, you're just whipping your way into our hearts right now. Yeah, yeah. swinging in and out. Billy uh, <laughs> Yeah, she's in that. I think that's what got her this role. Sure. Uh, yeah. Sure. But I, 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 again, I don't even know necessarily that I think she's even that good in this movie as an actor. But what she, I thought she's pretty no, good. No, I, I, I thought think she is. She, she brought more. Supremely likable. Supremely likable. Like she is so fun mm-hmm. and so uh, exciting and uh, just lights the screen up. And it's not mm-hmm. just looks, it's a charisma. You know what I mean? Like she has a she has a real charisma, but she's not always like on point with all the emotions. Like there's definitely moments she's like having a good time in the movie. Uh, which yeah, hey, fine, yeah, fine. There, there's one moment where uh, when he they do their tango. Yes, at the, thank you for uh, bringing manor, that up. Yes, and uh, she and her and he he 
throws her under the bus and says that like she's very spirited, yes, spirited. which is just like in this time it's like you call my daughter a slut yes, is basically correct. what you're doing but because they're all aristocrats like shit doesn't matter i guess and everything's all ma- male all the time so they're <laughs> I think, like, thank you for putting it so delicately that's such a bullshit thing and she huffs and puffs away a little bit which is what she should do uh showing like kind of the strength behind the character but i wouldn't say that like Catherine zeta jones necessarily like she could have gone for it a little bit more and been like, "You're gonna say that shit <laughs> right now?" You know, like she could have done that It's hard to know. I, I mean, I, she. It's hard to know she's what they were going for. She, but. They're definitely in between moments in cinema yeah. history. Like she's supposed to be an object to be desired and fought over, right? But she's That's also what bothers me about it because I don't want to even like rain it on her it's like it's the yes, writing it's, it's the you know it's like the studio filmmaking and we're gonna get it's to the it weird setup that we have that boys should be yes. charismatic and women have a way to be charismatic Correct. you know like it's correct uh, it's it's which is weird. old school hollywood and a thing we're gonna talk old about in a minute. and in that in her ability to play that role and like within the system is you know that's pretty daunting like that's a daunting task and i think she's up to the task uh, totally her career is totally um, I, I, she's yeah. only had a few very memorable acting moments uh like not very many i i would say like she was memorable in in traffic uh mm-hmm. she was memorable in um see the list goes thin but she she was in a bunch of movies where she was fun like Ocean's Ocean's Twelve and Entrapment and you know a bunch of other movies, but like she's never had like that moment where it's like wow what an actress, uh, and it doesn't mm. matter because she's I thought she was pretty good in Chicago. Oh Chicago, but I yes, also there didn't you go. like Chicago. Chicago. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I also thought she was very good in Intolerable Cruelty. Yes, uh, which is Cohen's brothers. Sure, so that everyone's shining. Uh, so like the sharp pen of the Cohen brothers makes everyone better. Uh, she was up to the task, but like you know, it's also not one of their best movies because like the two leading people who like everything comes out of are really fun, but it just doesn't feel like a Coen. I don't know. I I, I don't need to t- make this about Coen Brothers. I always want to talk about. Coen Brothers, I, I don't blame you uh, because she does. Yeah. It, she is an interesting actress because she was the hottest thing in the world. She's kind of disappeared uh, in the last like mm-hmm. ten years, which is a shame. Uh, but mm-hmm. she, but boy, did she come scorching into our brains th- in, in this movie. So yeah. the thing that makes this old school Hollywood, it's not because they got a good actress. It's not that it's that they were like, okay, we have these two stars that we're going to showcase. Let's build a scene. Let's build two scenes where they get to be really sexy together. Right. Like right. that's such an old Hollywood thing to do. And they have, right. and they had two yeah. of them and we didn't really need either one of them. Right, the but they're they're totally mm-hmm. unnecessary to the plot. They're very much a like flourish, if you will, uh, the equivalent mm-hmm. of pulling mm-hmm. a rose from between your fingers. That's exactly what they are doing. So like mm-hmm. they have a dance sequence and then they have a dance fight sequence. Both of them are fucking awesome. They're both great. They're both very satisfying in like a an old school primal movie way. Where it's just like, I love watching them dance. They're just having such a great time. They're really going for it. And they look great doing it. Yeah. And <clears throat> that dance, it's a, it, it, you know what it reminds me of a lot is that it's some, it's one of that like on-screen chemistries that just works. Yes, exactly. Like uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Yes, exactly. Seen That's that? another good example. You know, obviously they're literally like fucking up in the trailer probably, you know, like, uh, because that's where they got, they... Uh, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie met like, got together yeah. because of that yeah they met there, uh, but it's just like the it's palpable it's like mm-hmm. he, it, they're 
it's like it's the thing we do with Hollywood stars where it's like, yeah, okay, so it's romance. All right, do the fuck fuck me eyes, <laughs> and they're both doing it at each other, and it's like, yeah, yeah, we want it. It's just a very weird thing. It's that weird we have. because <laughs> like we, we, you know, yeah, give us the, it's, give us that look. Yeah, yeah, we like it. We're the audience. It's uh, it's, it's you know, it's built in primal human stuff, man. Like that's that's I the guess, thing. Yeah, I, guess. I mean, you know, this is what movies are. It's like it's wish fulfillment, man. <laughs> that's what we do. But like. This is a great example of why we do it because both scenes are very fun and they are perfect showcases for the actors and Mm -hmm. they are extreme. They're extremely memorable and they're satisfying in a way that these movies are supposed to be. Most movies never actually achieve the goal of scenes like this, which Mm. is like, yeah, this is rad, but this movie did. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. most of the time they don't, the, the actors don't have the chemistry or it's not quite the right scene or it seems stupid or, you know, it's not as satisfying this movie. It all fell together. Uh, I don't know if that's all directing or if it's just the casting or if it's, you know, just, a, I don't know, but it works, you know, totally works. <laughs> it wor- yeah, it yeah. works. I also think it's cause they're having fun. Like they, they, they both seem to be having just a great time while they're doing it. Yeah. You know? Like, yeah, I mean, that may, I, it's you can tell from the other performances they seem to have a lot more fun on this one. Uh, yes, the, maybe that's what it is. It, maybe maybe that's the thing. Is like in other movies, it's tough to recreate. Yeah, that exactly. Out of thin air, that's the thing. You know? it, it has to actually happen on the set. It's the oldest school thing there is. It has to really be yeah. there. Just like the the mm-hmm. stunts have to really be there, and this movie mm-hmm. got all that. You know, it happened. Mm-hmm. So, okay. And so a couple of things I wanted to mention as, since this is director piece and not just like, uh, you know, studio piece theater. Um, sometimes when you are making a movie that's not like a, where the, it's not about getting the period right, or it's not like a, it's not about uh, authenticity, but it's really about like showcasing personalities. You have to find ways to like, let the actors be who they are, even if it's not, the best thing dramatically. And mm-hmm. that is probably, I'm, I'm making the argument that most of the things that Antonio does and some of the things that Catherine Zeta Jones does are the director sort of knowing what he has and working with the actors to be themselves and not necessarily to be uh, Zorro or like the daughter of Zorro. You know what I mean? Like, right, like I think yeah. the director's holding that with a kind of a loose hand because he understands, like, look, this is about making the actors look like they're having a good time and, like, look, you know, uh, sexy and daring and all that stuff. And, like, I don't want to mm-hmm. burden it too much with making sure the Mexican Civil War stuff is done correctly. Uh, mm-hmm. Which, mm-hmm. In, on the one hand, sucks, but on the other hand, delivers the action thing we're looking for. Uh, so, like, again, it's not... You, this is what you need, uh, like casting a Tom Cruise type for, like somebody who just brings a given. And as a director, your job is to make sure that they're on the rails, that they're not making bad decisions and going off the rails, and that you're giving them enough space to be themselves. And uh, mm-hmm. like, I, as guys, you and I have both directed comedy for a very long time, and directing comedy is very similar to that because when you're directing comedians, they're the funny thing. So like it's not about the yeah yeah it's not about yeah. like hey man we need to really get the office workerness through here 
It's about what is the thing that makes <laughs> sometimes that's sometimes the joke. it's I don't know. right, but yeah, 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 right. But ninety percent of the time, percent of the time, it's, it's funny yes. face. Get it on. Let's camera. get the funny reaction, it, and you're that's comedy for a lot of right. Things. And your job as a director is to be a brainstorm assistant with the <clears throat> actor about what is the what are the range of choices that we have, and like, is this working? Like that's mm-hmm. your job, right? Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily to like listen, uh, listen, Cody. I don't know for sure that uh, this is what Wampus would say. You know, let's remember he's mm-hmm. you know been a, pre- a space prince for years and years. You know what I mean? That doesn't make sense. Like, why would Cody do that? You know what I mean? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Whereas yeah, you'd just be like, All right, you're saying that line like a piece of shit, right? Right. Yeah, right. Right. And me. sometimes, yeah. <laughs> once in a while, like one of my favorite moments actually with Cody, since I don't know why I brought him up, but. Uh, directing Cody was when he was Wampus because he was trying to find that character uh, and like nail it down and it was very fun. Uh, mm-hmm. It was like <laughs> he, uh, he there was a moment where he killed Mike I want to say with the force or something uh-huh. and so like the next scene is him saying that the force isn't really a thing and uh, right. so he was doing a bunch of versions of it he was being a real Stewie from Family Guy and it was funny uh-huh. and then I was like hey Cody you know you just killed a guy <laughs> right and, like, <laughs> and then he of course he loves it right because it's hilarious like this guy killing a guy is yeah, amazing yeah. and like that's the kind of thing you do with a comedian where i'm not creating the performance for him you just throw something yeah, else I'm giving at him, him something else to change to make the new yeah. perform- another take fresh and i'm giving him another know, like, idea maybe that'll work yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you know like and, you kind of that's what i think directing a movie star in an action movie really is is sort of like mm-hmm. Keeping them, keeping them lively and fresh and engaged, but it's not like, listen, we, you know, we really got to get all the nuances of the pain you've experienced. Like this isn't the Irishman, you know what I mean? And that's like the fun work of the directing. Like most of the work of directing is ensuring the amount of control and preparation necessary to allow for those time for those moments. Yes, totally agree. Okay, so now I'm going to speed through uh, some of the problems that the old school way of doing <laughs> things. Through the problem. You ready that for that? Just the laundry list. Of it's, this. it's a long Shit. list, but yeah. like, and I don't want to spend forever on why the movie sucks. But like, you know, the the Hollywood style, the old epic style, creates some problems because there's a mindset attached to it. So the biggest yeah. problem with the movie, and I think everybody can see it from ten miles away now in 2020. Is Anthony Hopkins is cast as the oh, original Anthony Hopkins Zorro? Is white Zorro? Yeah. yeah, and it's not it's not just because he's white, although that is a huge problem. Uh, because, yeah. but sadly, Zorro had never been not white before Antonio Banderas. Yeah, Zorro is like the go-to figure yes. for like you know like tanning yes. makeup and like straight up Correct. racism. Yeah, and this it was usually Italians. It's right. like a whole hotbed of like. Oh, it's, it's, it's just very, so much to It's unpack. very crazy. Because it's like, even your pl- even your choices to not be racist are racist. Yes, <laughs> you know? totally. It's like, it's, uh, and yeah, yeah, keep well, going. I feel like you got more I, details it's for just, me. So like, one of the things I found interesting when I was researching the movie is like, Anthony Hopkins was brought in to replace Sean Connery, which makes the, is in some ways an improvement. It's not better. It got a little better, but it's not like a good decision because Sean Connery was it's absolutely the, the wrong decision. Uh, that's, yeah, he's not like, he doesn't have the Hopkins has the refined tone. Yes. But it's not Uh, like (laughs) Connery's like a, a bastard, you know, like he's not refined. He's like kind of a, like a thuggish figure. I agree with that. Except for, I mean, I guess James Bond, but like even his James Bond is like kind of a rapscallion. 
And I guess that that works for Zoro, but like this is like a particular Zoro that's at the end of his life. Right. And and so it's it's he would have some reservations about how he lived life. I don't know. It's not it doesn't really work. Uh it feels like it feels like a loud scream in the movie and it's not because Anthony Hopkins doesn't perform well. He's good in the movie as an actor. Uh, ex- except yeah, for except for does. his decision to to go for vengeance feels very like I don't know if this guy would do that uh, because he's so like <laughs> because Anthony Hopkins is such a dense like Englishman as a person like he's so, like his mm. feelings are so like walled behind society and stuff that like you feel like he's sort of thought his way through all these problems uh, and he's not going to try to steal his daughter back and then he does and you're like really uh, okay. Uh, anyway, mm-hmm. I, I just think that Anthony Hopkins, as good of an actor as he is, he does a fine job in the movie. He's such a good actor that he's like, I believe he could actually do the things that he's asked to do in the movie. And that says something. It's still just this way of thinking where it's like, look, you got to remember the name in the face. If you don't know who the name in the face is, you don't go to the movie. Uh, doesn't matter what it's about. Doesn't matter who's in it. Or it doesn't matter. Uh, if, even if we have better options for this, it doesn't matter. Anthony Hopkins gets asses in the seats. And it's not like this is the first or last movie to have that problem, but like mm-hmm. it's really egregious uh, compared to, you know, just so many other movies where they got it right and they tried to get it right with their main cast. You know, mm-hmm. Antonio Banderas and Catherine Zeta Jones. I, I, actually, <clears throat> I don't know if Catherine Zeta Jones is, is Latin, right? I think she might be Welsh. I think she's. Yeah. I don't know. So maybe I guess with Antonio Banderas, sure, yeah. they, they, they tried. I did look up though who the first uh, who the first Mexican or Hispanic Zorro was, and um, in- the earliest version I could find isn't. I mean, it's Antonio Banderas for the movie, but for TV, it's something else. Uh, but for TV, Henry Darrow was in the nineties, uh, and he, that that's the other thing is that he he was Zorro in the nineties on a TV show, and he's Puerto Rican. Mm. Uh, mm. Henry Darrow's name is not Henry Darrow, you know. Uh, he changed his name to be more white. Oh, sure, <laughs> so right, it's like, right, right. Oh, I see. They're getting you at all yeah, yeah, you sides. Got it, you got it on both ends. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really yeah. dumb. Not only are you not going to get cast in the movie that, frankly, ought to always be cast by because he's like a Mexican figure. Mm-hmm, he's mm-hmm. Me- Mexican lore, you know, like. Uh, not only is he not Hispanic, uh, like there were Mexican films of it, you know, it's just like Hollywood's version of it. Right. That even if we're going to like have you be a part of this culture that is Hollywood, change your fucking name though. Right. Because that's the only way people will watch it. Uh, and it's like, I'm not saying that it doesn't, it doesn't bear discussing. It does. It's just so dumb, uh, here because like Anthony Hopkins is just, he's not even the right kind of actor for this movie. Uh, even though mm-hmm. he does a fine job, it's just that it's like that's not who you cast for this. Uh, mm-hmm. Antonio Banderas is right on point, and that's why you know it's just so weird. And anyway, so again, this decision is not just bad because of representation, although that's a good enough reason to be upset about it. It's also bad because it creates narrative problems. So like the fact that mm-hmm. we cast Anthony Hopkins means we have to write this long arc for him, and so ultimately Antonio Banderas isn't really the protagonist of the film. Like no, Anthony isn't. Hopkins is the protagonist of the film. I wonder when you mentioned that. Uh, yeah, he, he's he the one with the actual s- screenwriting. Yes, work. he's the one with the emotional we do arc. Follow Bender's more time. Yes, but like so, if like it's how you define protagonist, but 
He's the character that changes. But the funny thing you know, is that like right, the most. exactly, he's the hero. That's you know, like that's the the main yeah. definition of a protagonist. I think that if we're gonna have Martin Campbell in this room right now, he'd be like, "Yeah, but Zorro, like, didn't you watch the movie? Zorro's an idea. It's not a person. So Zorro is the. It's Zorro's. The yeah, character, that doesn't work. I guess. Uh, but like that's, that's like that's that fine. doesn't work. Uh, it doesn't work uh, for real reasons. Well, for movie reasons is, either. It works for. Logical I, reasons, I but guess, not real reasons. I guess. Uh, I don't even know if I agree with that. But so, like, again, if they had cast somebody who was lesser known to be Zorro, uh, it would have forced them to trim down the Diego pieces so that we could get to Antonio Banderas, yeah. who, and mm-hmm. which would have made a stronger movie. Uh, it would have made a stronger mm-hmm. movie. Now, just so you know how deep the problem of the protagonist goes. Uh, they didn't solve the problem of the protagonist ever, and the movie was originally supposed to end with Anthony Hopkins dying at the end uh, in in mm-hmm. Catherine Zeta Jones's arms, and which kind of been it would have been better because then it would be a like a, a full arc, more precise Correct. passing of Correct. the torch. You know, like, yes, it would be that movie now. Correct. So, but the problem is that Spielberg, who was sort of on the movie, sort of not, he comes back at the end here. Like saw that was like no no that doesn't work you need to go back and shoot a new ending so they they shot after the movie was already done they shot mm-hmm. Antonio and Catherine Zeta Jones at home with a new baby as the ending which mm-hmm. you know doesn't offend me it's just like oh so you've cha- you've tried to shift protagonists at the end here so that we would feel like a complete uplifting experience that's the problem with right. the movie you know that's why you don't cast Anthony Hopkins. You know, like, yeah, I think that's on a little bit on Spielberg personally. Sure. Uh, you know, like if there was ever a guy to know, like take a cultural dipstick and be able to tell us what audience likes, Spielberg's the guy. One hundred. But I think that that's a one hundred percent not like no one has a crystal ball, no. not even no. Spielberg. And the fact that he's confidently making decisions that we should go with this like new ending with a new baby, you know, like and saying that American audiences would like that better. I think that that's. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I like don't either because it's uh, condescending, and I also yeah. don't like it. But like you know, I'm not here to get out. It's yes, arrogant. I'm frankly. not here to get outraged at him about this. It's more just that sure. like uh, it's bad filmmaking, and he knows better. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, so next one, I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. It deserves its entire own director piece. I'm not going to do that. Uh, and that is like this is a pretty good example of a. F- of a char- of a female character who's not thought through at all, and by that I mean mm-hmm. uh, Catherine Zeta Jones. Her emotional journey is uh, baffling. It's she is being asked to fall in love with uh, a duplicitous thief, who uh, and then also at the same time a different man who is a lord. Uh, like Spanish Baron type, and to sort of be attracted to both of them for different reasons. Uh, she's also a mm-hmm. sword fighter, which implies an entirely different identity that we don't understand and doesn't come into play for any other reason. And she's supposed to switch fathers and which father she loves in the course of this movie. Right. She has the most it's, complexity. It's like that is so much stuff to happen in anyone's and it's just Life? not no. there, not because no. of anything she what can did. She do? It's just it, characters not what? written. They don't have those scenes. She's just there to be likable and to be in the scenes and have a good time. And guess what? She kills at that. She's so good at it. Yeah. But like, uh, you know, that's a bad character. <laughs> but instead, it's like, ooh, sword takes the blouse <laughs> off, dude. Thank you for bringing that up because that's the next thing. So the other yeah. thing about this style of filmmaking that is dumb 
is the insistence on creating trailer moments, right? So like yeah. this movie is very guilty uh, on this. Like every movie has this problem. This one in particular is really bad because the trailer moments um, are basically stunts and then things that are manufactured in the movie for the trailer. The most egregious of them, of course, is exactly the thing you just mentioned, which is Antonia Banderas slices her blouse off at the end of a sword fight. And like it's only there for him to do this weird, creepy Zorro thing and for her her hair to strategically cover her breasts and everyone to be like, ooh. And it's like scandalous. Right, right exactly. And it's very Jesus like it, it's Fuck it's off. great in a trailer, because you know, it's like, oh, I didn't expect that. But it's dumb in the movie. It's like he wouldn't do that yeah. and she wouldn't let him do it. And uh what are we doing here? You know what I mean? Like it's, I like this version of like, uh, suits being like thinking that the audience is just a bunch of wolfies. Yes. yes. Like all the men are, and women are wolfies for like, a <laughs> like we're the, the part of the mask, you know, in the I mask. Exactly it's like what you meant. Tongue drops yeah, out. Yeah. And I can guarantee us. Well, the- it's just like the same problem. It's like, okay. All right. Yeah. They're, sure. they're all, uh, yeah, it's very immature and it's very like, like omnipresently horny. It, it, like, and there's definitely yeah, moments in the movie that so are horny. made for that. The dance fight mm-hmm. is the most that because, and there's so many dumb things in it that are also in the trailer. Like when he cuts her, he cuts the the skirt part of her onesie, her night nighty. I guess it is. I don't know what it is. And her yeah, leg is exposed, and she goes, "Not bad," which is also like, "No, she wouldn't." <clears throat> uh, and yeah, it, but it's, it's all, fu- it's all yeah. uh, preamble. Like it's fucking. It's exactly it's just what it a is. Preamble and if fucking. you doubt that, if you if you're like, come on, this is just for fun. When he brings his sword out in that scene, his sword literally pops into frame like an erection. It's literally supposed that, to be an erection. Done that. That's like a Zorro. Bit, is it? Though. I've never seen it before. It's, yeah. It. Yeah. Okay. They've great. Done that kind of stuff in the like. There's also like a whole humorous. Zorro, okay, great. Like, I didn't know that subgenre. Uh, it's got it's it's very. I don't know why I know this stuff because it's gotten pretty forgotten by time. But I'm sure someone out there has watched like all the Zoras and Love Zorro can speak better to it. But like, they've done that bit. It's been co-opted by like uh, Men in Tights did that bit and stuff. It's like a it's a bit. Uh, I'm not here to get. Uh, again, I don't. I I try not to get like unnecessarily outraged it by things. Excuse the bit. It's, it's just, just like, dumb. Oh, it's it's just picture. dumb, and it's like uh, it takes away from what is really happening in the movie. Uh, it's actually mm-hmm. not the most frustrating time they do it. To me, the most frustrating time they do it, and it, again, it's in the trailer, is in the end of the conflict. You know, this guy who like uh, Antonio Banderas is fighting this colonel who is a full fledged maniac. Like this, this, this uh, army. I think he's a colonel. I don't. Oh Is a full fledged maniac. Yeah. Like just, he's trying to murder thousands of innocent. What's his name? Captain. It's Turner? Captain Hairmain. I don't know what the fuck his real name is. It Hairmain. His, his hair okay. is because Captain Turner is the pirate. I don't know what his real name but, is. Uh, I'm calling him Captain Hairmain. I love that he just has his brother's head. Yeah. In what the, the fuck? Fucking jar. That's like psychopath <laughs> he, shit. So. Uh, <laughs> You don't have jars. I don't. I don't, don't pickle people. people. No, I don't pickle them. Uh, I shouldn't. Mm. I should be. You should get in the pickling. It, I, I have arte, artesian pickling. Artesian. Got you got going. a you got a picklehead guy. I love that. Oh great! <laughs> yeah. I need a pickle. Pickle some of my enemies' heads. I'm okay with that. No. So okay. So he's a full fledged maniac, right? So then Antonio Banderas, yeah, in fun. the middle of fighting him, 
uh, as Zoro, while the cliffside mine is burning, the peasants trapped in a death trap, and like you know, a hundred other things are going on. Has the time to mm. drop in and then ask him before he stabs him to death. Miss me? Like, and it's just such a fucking stupid <laughs> yeah. trailer thing that it's like, let him take the conflict seriously in the third act. Can we do that, please? Yeah, you know, where they literally hate right, each other. These guys hate each other. Can we have a third act conflict, please? Uh, but yeah. no, because we need it for the trailer. Because it's swashbuckly. But it's yeah. but it's the wrong time for swashbuckly. Put it. Uh, the other thing is at the end of that sequence, there's not nearly enough time to get all the people out. No, fuck no. Absolutely like, not. There are so many cages, yeah. <laughs> and there's two of them. You know, they like, left a, a mountain of corpses there for sure. Yeah, they didn't. There was no organization whatsoever. They just decided to bomb the thing. Yeah, it's know? it's very stupid. Okay, so very last thing, and I know we've 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 gone a little long here. So very last thing that is bad, it, like in the old school Hollywood way, about this is behind the scenes there were some shitty negotiations uh, that sort of reflect a kind of, Mm. again, a way of thinking about things. So originally, Robert Rodriguez was supposed to direct this movie, who again, it's like, exactly, could you pick a better person for this? It's perfect. So yeah, he's got, he knows that tone tone. really well, and he works with Banderas really well. It would have been great. So like, he wanted to make the movie for $45 million, right? The studio's like, no, 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 this is a $35 million movie. And then they had this, like, stupid back and forth, right? When he finally, so he's like, look, I, I can do it for 42 And the studio's like, we're giving you 41 not a penny more. And he was like, okay, I, you know, I can't do it. So he quits, right? And they don't fix it. Okay. So then they bring on Martin Campbell, and they give him 60 $60 million. And he Oof. went over, so they made it for 95 what the Now, fuck? they went over because he got sick. But, like, they gave him more money. And the reason I say that that's... It's not, you know, like, I'm not here to debate the oh, merits. I'm fucked. not here to debate the merits, although I should. It's like... Because they have... At the very least, they have Robert Rodriguez in a category of filmmaker. He's not an... He hasn't done the epic movie that's in the, stu- in the studio system, whereas Martin Campbell has. So we can't trust him with this money, even though the movie objectively needs it. Holy you know what I mean? Fuck. Like, and and I wasn't there. I don't know all the substance of this argument. I'm reading a no, summary I, of it. Yeah, I, I wasn't. I don't have all the details. It looks but shitty, like, though, if, doesn't it? If that's true, that looks racist. It does look fuck, racist. Fuck it absolutely looks. I did racist. not know any of that. It looks racist. I don't know for sure that it was. It might be. Uh, it, it looks it probably. I know, is, dude. dude. I know. It probably. I know. Because why? It's because the language is money. Yeah. Right. Right. The language is forty yeah. million. No. Okay. Wh- well, and it's spiteful. It's like he it, why? It's because Martin Campbell's an Australian white guy. Because he made Goldeneye. So and Goldeneye is better. I guess, I guess. Yeah, I guess that's true. You know, like he's he was hot. He was more well known at the but time. You, but the again, year. but the like, argument here is he's still not a name that gets a no, pull. Fuck no. Are they putting in yeah. trailers like the man who brought you Goldeneye? Like, are nope. they doing that in the they're trailer? Not. Like, what does it really get well, you? Well, and the other thing is they're being they're. Like again, take the names of the directors out, which it does matter. But let's take their names out. They're arguing with one guy about the movie takes forty-five million to make. No, it doesn't. It takes thirty-five. Okay, I could do it for forty-two. Nope, forty-one. And then another director comes in and is like, "Hey, this is a sixty-million-dollar movie." And they're like, "Yes, it is." So it's like, yeah. why? What, what happened here? Did it get reconceived? It Maybe pisses, that pisses. I know me it's stupid. <laughs> it just suggests. Some very convoluted the fucking thinking. Because to be like, all right, 42, all right, 
forty. That is the part that it's makes like, me furious. You fucking yeah. what? Give him the forty-two. You spend ninety-five million dollars and you fired a guy, because, right. or you didn't? You didn't. They didn't fire him, but you like out, ousted a guy from the project. Your main, like, how does that negotiation make anyone feel like? I know they're all professionals, but like. Robert Rodriguez must be walking away from that situation just going like, fuck these cheap fucking petty You can assholes. see why Robert Rodriguez has remained an indie filmmaker his whole life. He has. And uh, he, he quit the DGA. I would love to... If, he quit yeah. the DGA. Very famously quit it. Yeah. Uh, to, yeah, he did. To include, right. So this scans. To include Frank Miller in the making of Sin City because he wasn't a DGA director, and so they weren't going to let him make it. Yeah, he was like, he weird. should. That's yeah, weird. it's stupid. So... Uh, you know, Robert Rodriguez has been on the bad end of a lot of studio situations. Um, mm-hmm. He's had a very interesting career given that. He's he he's an interesting person to look at for, like, race and politics in Hollywood. Uh, because he's, he's a DIY mm-hmm. filmmaker. He's very talented. He's made a lot of interesting movies uh, for very little money. And he's done it all himself, basically. And... Uh, Again, he is there a better marriage of filmmaker in 1998 than Robert yeah. Rodriguez and Mask of Zorro? It's awesome. No, no, it's awesome. There isn't. You know, it's it's it would be a fucking cool movie. Right. right. It, it, hopefully, it gets better. This looks really bad. Again, I'm I'm reading summaries of it. I'm not reading all the specific mm-hmm. details. I didn't get into like, I didn't read old Hollywood reporters. I like this is like a Wikipedia page right. that I'm summarizing, but like. The point is that, like, again, it's old school Hollywood thinking. It's it, like, even if, yeah. again, even if it wasn't racist, you have two directors who are trying to make the movie and they have different bids. And this guy's bid is for less money and he still made stuff. But, like, he's, he's asking for less money. You say no. And then another director comes, no matter who he is, and says, I need more money. And you're like, no problem. What are we, like, is, it's the same fucking movie. You know, yeah, like yeah, uh, uh, one of them wasn't set in space or something. Like, it, like maybe there were major rewrites, but it's <laughs> stupid. And I mean, I'm so glad about that 95 million and like what a delight this movie was. But it just it really it really ruins a lot. I'm of sorry it to hear me. that. Yeah, I, ho- I hope <laughs> no, no. It's it's like it makes it go like ah, oh, but what at what yeah. cost was 95 that extra? Million. You know, that's the cost. Was that extra 20 million that ended up being 50 million? Uh, you know, it's just like come on, come on. What are you, what are you guys doing? Uh, I guess that. I guess I only can take satisfaction is that uh, with old Hollywood, it's going to be fine because we're going to eat them. <laughs> we're going to take their small little souls yeah. and put them in our very large mouths. I've, I've enjoyed the crunch. I've enjoyed the predator convers like the predator tone, the uh, the class yes. struggle has taken in the last five years. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. it's it's dumb. Mad, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean. It's dumb and uh, <laughs> it makes you sad because it's just like, ugh, why? It's well, because we, we all get into this business to make stuff we love and have a good time. And this is this movie's about that. And, uh, yeah. you know, and then they're behind the scenes is all this bullshit. And you're like, come on. Uh, anyway. What? So I, that's it. I love how you framed this. I love how you framed it because you're like, remember all this cool stuff? Remember that it's kind of not good? Remember this is this movie had a horrible history with, that, with its director? It's just like, I love that you just cut it down, cut it down. Because yeah. uh, you showed me exactly why I love the yeah. old Hollywood, like what it's supposed to be. And w- like when it when the illusion is working, 
uh, and the veil of ignorance is on. Yeah. You like know, what, it, what it is. And then you just demystify and, and demystify. let's not forget. And that is just, I can't think of a better narrative <laughs> right. uh, for this kind of movie. Definitely not for 2020. I mean, exactly. You know? Right. Just exactly. In, in this day and age, it's, you kind of have to see both things. Uh, I like this deconstruction. Well, I also, that you did. I mean, I enjoy sort of as a director uh, seeing things that seeing things for what they are. Like, I don't think I have to mm. say that the whole movie sucks in order to say like uh, some of the thinking behind it is really probably racist. Uh, seems racist. It's certainly the effect of it mm. is probably racist, uh, and and also just dumb and antiquated. And yet, uh, the things about it that are good, I, I hope they still continue to exist in movies. You know, like, I, I hope that we never lose yeah. the moment where we are using stunt people and shooting movies this well, and, like, we get those really refreshing, fun movies with stars in them. It's awesome. You know, like, that's what movies yeah. are supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, uh, not... Not for I think, free. I think the love for those things will always keep them I hope alive. So. I mean, it will be increasingly harder and harder to do. But if like Mad Max Fury Road showed us anything, <laughs> showed us a lot of were things. Clamoring for it, and it 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 launched to the expectations that Hollywood did not understand, and then they had to adjust for it. You do enough of those adjustments, uh, they realize that they're on the wrong that's right, side. Of, that's that's another you know, movie that's mostly practical stunts. Uh, I will say about, which again, surprise, surprise, people loved it. Uh, there, there hasn't been a movie moment that I've loved as much in the last five years, maybe 10 years as when, uh, when we're on that chase the first time after, uh, Furiosa, is that her name? Is that the name of Yeah, Furiosa. And we, we finally get the full, uh, car mob and we get that, that electric guitar guy. (laughs) Just like playing, playing oh, yeah. that guitar in his yeah. fucking weird Borderlands outfit, I was like, "That, yeah, it's that the greatest is, thing. Uh, it's greatest truly thing beautiful. <laughs> it's so good. It's why it's why yes. movies. It's why movies, Adam. It's why Correct. movies. <laughs> that guy Correct. is why movies. Correct. We both decided at fairly early stages in our life that we wanted to hazard it all and do a thing that's highly competitive and try to make movies. Why is the question? That guy. That yes. Guy. That guy rules. I, I, I wish I could put my name on that movie. It's so good. Uh, <laughs> I wish I could, I wish I could have that moment. Uh, no. uh, it's so good. Um, yeah. Anyway, that it's the joy that it's the joy of movies that, uh, like the business side always fucks just like it does with a lot of stuff. And it's like, you, to be grumpy about it is one thing. I'm I'm very grumpy this podcast sure. because of this new fact that I learned. But um, there is still something to be said about like how you have these conversations, and I like the way that you framed it because you got to have the truth out, and we got to figure. it I want to research and find out what this is, but it's really scanning to me. Like the narrative is very yeah. clear uh, about what happened to this movie. And it's at least, I should look into it a little more because it, it, it sure but, looks like a thing, um, doesn't it? But like you, you always want to show everyone what like the yeah. goal is, right? you know? And then you want to show people why they're failing the goal. That's how like education works. Uh, it's also, and I think that that's a good way to, it's, I don't know. I like this. It's episode. also the hero's journey. I mean, because I'm just patting you on you. the back. I'm just saying it's an effective. Uh, it's it's tool. also yeah. Thank you. It's also the hero's journey, because like mm. you know, uh, I teach this. I teach the hero's journey now in one of my classes, 
And uh, I use Groundhog Day to teach it because uh, it's such a great mm-hmm. movie for Hero's Journey. It's amazing. But like, mm-hmm. basically, Groundhog Day is a movie where you're you're showing all the bad results first. You know what I mean? Like, like uh, it's a movie yeah. where a guy is trapped by his own selfishness until he finally becomes unselfish. Like, that's the simple version of it. He has to learn what yeah. love means. And, like, he, you, you watch all these bad results, but then again, he keeps checking in with Rita, his, the girl he wants, who is a mm-hmm. representative of what love is. And uh, so, again, that movie, is, that movie is, like, fundamentally, it's, like, spiritually educational about, like, the way love works. Because it goes through this very natural, like, progression of the way people would respond to a situation like that. Uh, it's so yeah, natural yeah. that we laugh at it. Uh, mm-hmm. And it does exactly what you just said, which is, like, it shows us the, the awful, but it also keeps reminding us of what are we supposed to be, what are we supposed to become? You know, what are we supposed yeah. to become? And uh, Mask of Zorro, we're supposed to be doing amazing stunts at high speeds. Uh, that's what we're supposed to that's be. That's what. That's why we're placed yes. on this earth. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's that's my goal. Swashbuckle my way into your heart. To be riding two horses Ooh, at once. Boy, boy, what that could have gone just so wrong, and it really didn't. It really yeah. could have. That that. I mean, he's really Jean Claude Van Damme. He, yeah, 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 yeah. You know? He's getting pretty close. Yeah, he's getting pretty close. Yeah. 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 Well, we've had ourselves a wonderful time. Uh, mm-hmm. If you found this podcast, most likely. It's because you are aware of small beans and uh, of our Patreon. But if you happen to not be, uh, or if you happen to have a couple of bucks you'd love to spend to support content like this, creators like us, uh, mosey on down to our Patreon at uh, Patreon forward slash smallbeans.com. Patreon.com slash smallbeans. Thank you. And uh, give us a couple of bucks. We have a bunch of different podcasts that uh, we think you'd enjoy. This is not the only one. There are are dozens of episodes at least and many different genres yeah. of podcast uh and uh you you just came out as the recording of this episode with uh you, you're, you're talking about yeah, twilight yeah. with a friend of ours <laughs> yes you can check out yeah. uh, you can check out a side podcast i'm doing it's with the, our our buddy dave uh as part of the gamefully unemployed uh, network. It's really fucking weird, oh, man. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> it's, it's me and Dave it's really weird. Uh, talking for a very long time about uh, yeah. the show, Twi- not the show, the series, the saga of Twilight. And the show is uh, creatively titled Guy Light. So hope you can check that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can, you can yeah. find me on Twitter and at, on Instagram at The Real Gans. That's all I have to say. And I'm Abe Epperson and again, and you can find me at uh, at Abe the Mighty on Twitter. Ooh, you are um, mighty. And yeah, next time Director Peace happens, it should be a me episode. Oh, I, I hope mean, it's a usually you. it's just me or you, so it will probably Stands be to me, reason. unless we find a secret person to talk about things. I'm not sure. When, how I'd these love, things are I'd airing. I don't know why I'm setting why you're doing myself up for failure. Point is, we'll see you next time, and we love Bye. you. This has been a Small Beans endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The Beans always have new ideas percolating, so make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash smallbeans. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash smallbeans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the small beans grow into huge giant monster beans.
If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you. <laughs>